So you know those secret questions you have to set up now for online banking to prove who you are? They used to be kind of boring, right? Like your mother's middle name, in my case it's Irene, or the name of the street you first lived on, in my case that's Sweetbriar. But with all the privacy concerns, the questions have been getting more interesting. Recently I encountered this one as one of the options. What is your dream job? And I answered without hesitation, my dream job is poet. Now, don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. There are a lot of things I enjoy about my profession. I'm a certified public accountant, which literally means, as I sometimes jokingly say, in the spirit of James Bond, I am literally licensed to count. <laughs> and I really enjoy putting the right numbers in the right places and bringing order to chaos. But there's this other creative side to me that accounting can only hint at, that longs to be expressed. One of my poet role models is Adrian Rich, whose work I first came across as a junior in college, a formative and difficult time in my life when her words really spoke to me. If you're not familiar with Adrian Rich, she lived from 1929 to 2012, and her work focused on oppression, especially the oppression of women. In her poem, Sources, she writes, no person trying to take responsibility for their identity should have to do so alone. There must be those among whom we can sit down and weep and still be counted as warriors. I think you thought there was no such place for you, and perhaps there was none then, and perhaps there is none now, but we will have to make it. We who want an end to suffering, who want to change the laws of history if we are not to give ourselves away. I was focused at that point in my life at 20 years old on finding answers to the question of who am I, which I found to be a somewhat lonely business. I found myself in a complicated and tumultuous relationship with the person I thought was my soulmate but ended up not being my soulmate. I was serving as an intern at a domestic violence shelter, encountering life and death situations that I felt ill-equipped to handle. I was double majoring in sociology and accounting, which, yes, that's weird. And uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. <laughs> Not to mention this nagging poetry thing that probably wasn't going to work out as a career option with student debt repayments on the horizon. It all seemed heavy and important and solely mine to figure out. This idea of people to sit and weep with and still be counted as a warrior really appealed to me. Now, though, over 20 years later, I find myself drawn to the second part of this passage, too. With everything going on in our world today, the possibility of working to end suffering and change the laws of history speaks to me. The laws of history that insist that economic challenges must be the fault of a group of outsiders that are trying to take what is ours, that power must be defended rather than shared, that war is inevitable and might even be good for us, that no matter what political system reigns, the idea of real equality is naive. So this is the question I'm working with now. What am I called to do? One of the reasons that Adrienne Rich is one of my poet heroes is that she didn't just write about working to end suffering and change the laws of history. She lived it. She actually refused the National Medal for the Arts in 1997 because, as she said in her letter to President Clinton, 
Art means nothing if it simply decorates the dinner table of power which holds it hostage. Mm -hmm. Yes, she did. (laughs) The radical disparities of wealth and power in America are widening at a devastating rate. A president cannot meaningfully honor certain token artists while the people at large are so dishonored. That was 20 years ago. She saw with her poet's eye truths about our country that continue to play out daily in our Twitter feeds, in our headlines, and in our lives. And she wasn't afraid to speak that truth to power. One of the aspects I'm working with in figuring out what I'm called to do is the question of being an activist. I have never found myself comfortable with marches and protests, and I felt a little bit of shame this year in particular about that, that I haven't been standing up more openly for the changes I want to see in the world, like Adrian Rich did, as many of those I admire are doing, including many members of this congregation. Then there was an article in this fall's EU World magazine, the magazine of our denomination, that asked this provocative question to six UU leaders. Do you have to be an activist to be a Unitarian Universalist? Put it right out there. Now, I have to admit, <clears throat> my reaction was, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> they might take my card away. <laughs> but in reading the thoughtful responses, I realized that rather than a definitive answer, what we really need is a better, bigger question about what it means to live lives of alignment and integrity. The article offers many different perspectives, and if you haven't had a chance to read it, I encourage you to. It's available at uuworld.org. One of the leaders interviewed, Takia Amin, says, This isn't about calling yourself an activist or an organizer or anything else. It's about being a person who lives out their principles in their home, at the job, in their congregation, and anywhere else life might take them. We have historically encouraged our congregants to come as you are, but also to remain unchanged. She asks us to reimagine our congregations as places that, yes, accept us as we are, and that also change us. Places where people can share the real joys and pains of their lives, and that offer opportunities to be fortified and encouraged to go back out in the world and enact our principles. To live out our principles wherever we find ourselves, to embody our convictions in the world, that sounds an awful lot like being charged full with a charge of the soul to me. Some of you know I was a member of what we called the planting team. It's a group of 10 people that came together at Reverend Ken's invitation to found Wellsprings over 11 years ago. In fact, our first worship service was on January 21st, 2007, So Wellsprings, as a worshiping congregation, is now officially 11 years old. We've made it to the tween years. (laughs) And it might get a little awkward at times. (laughs) No, I was here at that first service. Who else was? Raise your hands. Okay, everybody look around, okay? Not that we were the only people in the room, but we've really grown and changed a lot since then. Planting Well Springs was an amazing and transformative experience at the time, but like any relationship, sometimes over a decade, I've come to take it for granted that Well Springs is here. So much so that I can get a little annoyed with the day-to-day realities of our congregational life. The meetings that run long or start late, or maybe both, 
the things that I say that I'll do that then I forget to, the things other people say they'll do and then maybe they forget to, the little things that go wrong with the slides or the microphones or the coffee that drips constantly sometimes during the service. And in spite of my deeply held belief that setting up this space for worship is a sacred act, sometimes the seemingly endless task of moving the chairs in this room back and forth and back and forth wears on me a little bit as the leader of that team. And then something catapults me back to the charge of the soul. A line in a sermon that seems like Reverend Ken or Reverend Lee read my mind or maybe even my heart. A song that gives me goosebumps or brings me to unexpected tears. A genuine connection, an authentic conversation. A hug that one of you knew I needed even though I didn't. And I remember that this is my refuge, the place that I am welcome as I am, and that also holds open the possibility of transformation. The place that I can weep, and I have wept here, and still be counted as a warrior. The place that meets us all wherever we are in our personal journeys, and allows us to sit with and live into those questions, both of who am I, and what am I called to do. Our mission, to be a community charged full with the charge of the soul, is supported by our values and beliefs. You may recall seeing this sheet if you've participated in Wellsprings 1.0 or 2.0. They're on our website, and they're also on the back table every week. Sometimes we refer to the mission, values, and beliefs as our DNA, because they together are intended to be the genetic code of Wellsprings what gets reflected and carried forward in all our ministries, teams, and programs. The values describe how we aspire to be with one another, and the beliefs describe what gives us hope. The starting point for the planning team to develop these values and beliefs was listening to our lives. You may recognize that phrase. It's the title of Wellsprings 2.0, our signature small group for spiritual growth that we have offered for each of the past 11 years, and I know many of you have participated in. The phrase is based on one of our key sources, Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak, in which he writes, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truths and values you have decided to live up to, let your life tell you what truths you embody and what values you represent. In that spirit of listening to our lives and developing this DNA, the planning team reflected first individually and then collectively about the stories, songs, poems, movies, TV show episodes, scripture verses, experiences, what you might call our sources that were really important to us in making tough decisions and hitting through times when the way forward wasn't quite clear. One of the things on my personal list of sources was that poem that I read you at the very beginning of the message. There are several of our values and beliefs that I find particularly resonant. I find Adrian Rich's poem echoed in our core value of sharing our faith. Our deeds are generated by our beliefs. Personal transformation bears fruit in the natural sharing of who we are with the communities in which we live. We are open about articulating the spiritual motivations and sources for our acts of justice kindness, and service. I also find it echoed in our core value of discovering spiritual gifts. We empower people to find their true sense of calling 
not just to do what they are good at, but to live out what they do best and the world needs most. With humility and generosity of spirit, we challenge each other in our explorations and together discover new understandings of our spiritual sources and ourselves. In addition to reflecting Adrian Rich's idea of taking responsibility for our own identities, this core value also incorporates Parker Palmer's concept of vocation, of listening for our true sense of calling, and then responding to that call. Our core values also call us to live with integrity. We are a community of deep listening, possessing the humility and vulnerability necessary so we are able to make positive changes. We honestly evaluate where we are in the hope of courageously going where we are called to be. In this spirit of ongoing revelation, the burning bush that is blazing everywhere, as we describe it in our beliefs, our spiritual development ministry, of which I am proudly a member, along with Reverend Ken, Majid Alsaye, Sally Reeves, and Ellen Youngdahl, is embarking on a recharge of our DNA later this winter. The DNA was never intended to be the Ten Commandments written in stone and handed down by the planting team to all of you for all eternity. They're literally written on paper. (laughs) This was always intended to be a living document, updated periodically to reflect the realities of how we aspire to be and what gives us hope, informed by our collective sources. We have so many sources to draw on now, so many more than we did then. Wellsprings isn't an abstract concept like it was when this was first developed. And we can now let the life of our congregation speak through all of us. I invite and encourage you to participate in the DNA Recharge. We're going to start with a series of what we call Soul Bites later this winter. These will be one-time, two-hour small group discussions in which we'll explore together Wellsprings sources and how to best reflect them in our beliefs and values going forward. We're not suggesting a radical rewrite here, but we do believe there's an opportunity to potentially add to, clarify, and strengthen our values and beliefs. This will help the DNA support us individually and collectively in taking responsibility for our identities and embodying our convictions in the world, meeting us where we are, and inviting us toward positive change. I invite and encourage you to participate in the DNA Recharge, whether you've been at Wellspring since the beginning or just walk through the door for the first time today. And if you did, I welcome you, and I'm glad you're here. Whether you're involved in teams and ministries or primarily come for services on Sunday morning, your experiences are part of our congregational life and can help give Wellsprings its voice so its life can speak in all its fullness and complexity. Now, what saved me from the exile of my dorm room with the Indigo Girls and Sarah McLaughlin blasting on the CD player. You know what I'm talking about, ladies, right? Uh, (laughs) As I contemplated my future in my 20th year, was the Unitarian Church of Lancaster. I was already at that point in my life a UU, but let's face it, going to church at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning is pretty much the last thing on a college student's agenda. And several other UU students were encouraged and helped by the Lancaster Church to start what we call the Liberal Religious Fellowship on campus. And there it was, a group of people with whom to work through my stuff. I realized quickly that my angst about my future was hardly unique, and that helped reframe the way I experienced it. The me became us. I wasn't alone, and that made a real positive difference in my life. It's a lesson that I haven't forgotten, 
and that I hope I represented well in helping to lay the foundation for this congregation. May Wellsprings be our refuge, the place where we are welcome as we are, and that also holds open the possibility of transformation. The place where we can weep and still be counted as warriors, that asks us to honor our wounds not as our defining features, but as an integral part of the rich tapestry of our lives. The place where we can be recharged and that supports us in taking that charge out into the world. The place where we don't have to do any of this alone. There must be those among whom we can sit down and weep and still be counted as warriors. I think you thought there was no such place for you, and perhaps there was none then, and perhaps there is none now. But we will have to make it. We who want an end to suffering, who want to change the laws of history, if we are not to give ourselves away. We will have to make it. Let's continue to build this refuge together. Amen. May you live in blessing and happy birthday, Wellsprings. <laughs> will you pray with me? God of light and love, God of our heart's deepest yearning, May we know refuge together here. May this beloved community support us in learning both who we are and where we are called, in discerning where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need, in living out the paradox of being both whole and broken. May we know that each of us is acceptable, each of us is lovable, and that we as a community can love each other that in that love lies a blessing that has the power to positively transform our lives and our world. May we truly be a community charged full with the charge of the soul. For these words and all of the unspoken prayers in our hearts this morning, we say amen. So may it be.